What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you for tuning in as always. I'm sorry that it's been a minute. Shit happens. First things first, go to patreon.com slash kinda neat. Kick in a buck per episode. We would appreciate it. It would be so – we would be so thankful if it's your first time listening and you're just checking it out because Mike Eagle is here, our old buddy Mike. Stick around. Maybe you'll like the rest of the episodes. Go back. Listen to a few old ones. There's another one with Mike that you could go back and listen to. If you are a weekly listener though and you still haven't kicked into the Patreon, at this point, you're really just being lazy. I don't know. I don't know what that says about your character. That's something for you to figure out on your own time. Okay, guys, it's been a while since we did one of these, and I've just been busy. I I don't have any other excuses than that. Actually, I haven't even been busy. I've just been uninspired. That's it. You guys heard hints of it in the La- in the Rio Cragen intro. I just been uninspired. But I don't know. Maybe I think I'm I think I'm snapping out of it a little bit. What have I been doing? I went camping. I talked about that, that I was going camping. It ended up just being me and uh, the little dog, Kennedy. We went to the Sequoias, and that was a fun old time, kind of. I'll tell you, camping by yourself, pretty fucking boring. We didn't have a lot to do. Also, national parks, not dog-friendly. I kind of knew that but didn't know it to the extent. So while we were at the Sequoias, just she and I, we would have to drive out of the national park and into the national forest where dogs are accepted. And at one point, we drove out to the national forest and walked to this lake. It was a six-mile hike one way uphill. I'll tell you, I was fucking exhausted. That dog is under 20 pounds and – she looked really exhausted, but by the halfway point, I was feeling guilty, like, oh, this is, like, too much work for this little old dog. And really, she, like, stepped up and was dragging me most of the way and was was more into it than I was. And then we made it to this lake and uh, had a nice little relaxing lunch up there just hanging out and then walking back down. It took an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes to walk up this six miles. And then on the way down, it was only 45 minutes. It was, like, very fucking fast. We were damn near running down the hill. Anyway, so – that said, my girl and I have now have plans to go to Yosemite at the end of October, which I'm very juiced about because I've never been to Yosemite. So here I am. I've spent my whole adult life trying to like become city folk. Now the only thing I fucking care about is going camping and going back to the wilderness, going back to my childhood. It all comes full circle when you're having a midlife crisis. As a youth, we used to camp all the motherfucking time. And I thought, oh, it's just because we're fucking – we live in the woods and we're lower middle class. And so this is what you do for vacation. You go to a lake and you set up a tent. But now I realize, no, nah, this shit's dope and it's just fun to go do. Also, as the holidays are starting to approach – my family's all making plans to come down, so everybody's going to be here for Christmas and New Year's, and my brother and I decided to rent a spot in Tahoe, and so we're going to spend New Year's in Tahoe, hoping for some snow, do a little snowboarding, so that is another thing I'm excited about. I'm really trying to get on this experiential travel shit. My girl and I have decided that we really want to get out to Europe, and so we started saving some funds to do that, hopefully get out to France. Got plans with my boy Avocado. You guys know Avocado. We're going to get out there, try to go see France with him and his lady, do some real couple traveling. Like, I'm really getting on my adult shit, which Mike and I talk about 
you know, this conversation that I had with Mike, it's long. And if you're a Mike Eagle fan wanting to learn more about Mike Eagle, probably not the right podcast. But if you're somebody who has been following along the work that he and I have been doing for the last 10 years out of Los Angeles, where within the last few, our paths have splintered and he's gone on to bigger things. But we started out as peers next to each other in the trenches playing underground shows and doing stuff like that. So if you've known who both of us are for a while, I think you'll find this intriguing because it's really just a catch-up. We don't get to see each other a lot anymore. He's busy, I'm busy, and we're busy doing different stuff. And it gets to a point in your life where you get to a certain age that you don't really see your friends that much unless you're making money with your friends. And we touch on that too. And so it's nice to be able to set up a lifestyle where you're making money with your friends for a while. I was making money with some of our mutual friends and eventually we've all gone our different paths. And now because of that, we get to catch up on podcasts, which we also touch on. So at times this conversation is intense and I kind of get comfortable and do some talking more about me than at him at times because he's just as good of a conversationalist and interviewer as I am, if not better. So yeah, I would say parts of this are very revealing. And it was a good time. I love Mike. I love catching up with Mike. I think um, what he's created for himself is admirable and extremely respectable. He's got a new record coming out, Brick Body Kids Still Daydream. It is out now if you're listening, so you guys can go stream it or buy it. Who knows? They're both great. Streaming and buying, they're both fantastic at this point. And he's also on tour right now, so Google and look for his tour dates. Maybe he's hitting your city. Other than that, I'm just going to get into it because it's a long one. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Mike Eagle on Kind of Neat. to touch on there's so much to touch on yeah just touch wherever you want Lee. It's fine. <laughs> just, just touch away <laughs> oh, don't threaten me with a good time <laughs> that, is my, that might be my favorite phrase I, you know is don't threaten me with a good my time. my whole goal in life beyond like experiential shit is just to like be that old guy that has a clever response to everything <laughs> that walks into a diner and talks to a waitress and has like the most clever like re- retort to everything they say like oh i love God. those old men that reminds me of this uh awful thing that happened to me once i was in some does it involve touching as well no but <laughs> that was implied um there was this terrible waffle house i was at in arizona like it was outside of phoenix and um of course every wonderful story starts this way but um i'm in there and i'm sitting at the counter because all the tables are taken i'm sitting next to this really huge like trucker dude it's kind of gross he's like consistently trying to flirt with like this mm, the best looking waitress there right which a waffle house nine (laughs) yeah Yeah. exactly and he's like at her right he's just at her and that's what reminded me of him with you just saying, you know, walking yeah, to yeah. a, a, wait, a diner or whatever. But at some point, because me and him aren't paying attention to each other at all. Uh-huh. Um, I'm like reading a book or something and mm-hmm. really trying not to pay any attention to this dude. And um, at one point, he just starts laughing. He starts like la- like really chuckling and chuckling to the point where I could tell he's trying to like get my attention mm-hmm. laughing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had just grabbed the sugar that was between us to put in my coffee. Mm-hmm. And he turns to me and he goes... 
I don't usually share my sugar with a black man. Whoa. Stretches her out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How did you react to that? I just looked at him incredulously, incredulously, and I think I I know I'd try to leave as soon as I can, could, but I I didn't have much conversation with him after that. That is – wow. It's America, man. That is America. America. You know, it's funny because like as a white guy, my instinct is to go, wow, that's so horrendous and mind-blowing that that happens. But oh, I know is. that happens yeah. all the time. But it, and it, but it is horrendous. Mm-hmm. It is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And it also happens. Right. You know what I mean? Right. When they, and, like, and that's the thing because in, in my mind, I want – I want like alarms to go off. Like right. I, want, I want the police to run in and beat him to death, like yeah. just for for making me feel that way. Or just have like a, a you know, those like theft ink bombs. Like when, yes. when, when somebody tries to steal yes. something and then the ink bomb explodes. Like something. oh, you said something. Right. Yes, in the face. Oh my god. Wow, that's crazy. That's a that's a crazy story. That's not the type of old guy I want to be. No, no, I figured <laughs> you're, you're not on that pathway. Yeah. You'd have to have a sharp, sharp life. <laughs> Life-altering incident for you to end up being <laughs> yeah, that guy. I don't want to be. I don't want to. That's that's like an example of a catchphrase that guy has used before, but not the type that I want to use. He was so excited. Wow, so excited. Yeah, I needed to get your attention for it. Why? Mm-hmm. Why, Lee? When's the last time I saw you? I but don't know. It I think it was been... your birthday party, maybe two okay. years ago, or a year ago. Was it at my house? Or yeah, was it... yeah. I feel like you've been to New Negroes maybe since. Oh, then. Yeah. I saw, yeah, I saw you New Negroes, which was great. Yeah. Which was great. That was super let's, fun. Let's jump right into that. Your jump, sh- jump, show got jump picked up. Yeah. Now you're a TV star as Not, well. I, well, I'm a potential TV star. Right. Now the show is in bought and paid for. Yeah. Um, but we're in pre-production. What does that mean? Um, right now, um, we're staffing, hiring for the show. Like we're just. We just got through hiring a sh- well. We have an offer out to a showrunner, and then mm-hmm. they're going to hire line producers, and we're going to staff up, and then uh, we're supposed to shoot in November. Do you already know? I mean, have you just had to kind of learn by osmosis all these TV terms like showrunner oh, and I line producer and all that? So many questions. Yeah. Lee. Yeah. I ask so because I need to understand things. So I'll go fuck crazy. Uh-huh. Like, and that's even how the music business has been for me. I remember. You know, back in in the MySpace days, man, yeah. I used to I used to have all these terrible assumptions about how things worked, and mm-hmm. so I used to have all these feelings that were terrible and dumb about like other people's success mm-hmm. and uh, getting on the front page of MySpace and you know just everything that I thought. I had no basis for any thoughts, and I've learned that like I have to know how things work, or else I'll just be up at night sweating. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I ask. All the questions, mm-hmm. everything. What have you learned about the TV show stuff? Um, I mean, I feel like I've learned so much, man. Um, what is a line producer? I want to know. I don't well, even know what okay. that is. The showrunner is like a liaison between the creatives on the show and the network. And is and that they, different than an executive producer? Yeah, because I'm an executive producer. Oh, okay. Uh, there's four of us, I believe. And in and, and, and being an executive producer, there's four of us who like – you know, developed the pitch and sold the show oh. and are attached as executive producers. So okay. we're like, you know, we're like ultimate creative bosses for the show. Um, like the showrunner technically works for us, but it's his job to communicate between like the label and us and to like oversee the production of the show as a whole. Okay. Okay. Like the actual physical production. Well, so let's talk about New Negroes. Like how did you and Baron meet? 
Like how we met doing this, doing podcasts. well. Actually, no, we met doing secret in, skin. In, well, that was that was how we got cool. We got cool podcasting, but we met doing um, a, a comedian rap battle. Right. Okay. Um, called at the time it was called the Beatdown. It's called Turnt now. Um, yeah, and I used to get in those because I know comics and, you know, they can be fun. I would lose all the time. On purpose? No, I just would take them too seriously. Oh, and like to comics or to rappers? Who do you lose to? Comics. Wow. Are they yeah. good? Some of them, but the thing is, it's not really about being good. It's not about, like, staying on beat. It's about, like, the funniest joke. It's about commitment to the bit mm. because typically you're you're encouraged to create a character mm. and be that character. Okay. And so... It's not necessarily a display of rap skills. It's a display of commitment and and an exposure of what's really in your heart. Okay. And, and people kind of respond to that. Yeah. And so what was in my heart was not wanting to be embarrassed in a rap situation. Right. And so I went way overboard and people didn't like that. Right. So I lost all the time. <laughs> you hear the guy playing like a pickup game and trying yes. to fucking like cross everyone over yes. and take it too serious. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. funny. That's funny. Um, so you guys met that way. And yeah, he won that one. Okay. Oh, and so you guys battled each other and he beat you. Yeah, I don't know if we battled each other, but he won that oh, battle. Oh, he won that battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it funny how um, podcasting and like when you're in this kind of like mm-hmm. weird world that we exist in where you're constantly trying to pitch yourself as a creative to people, like podcasting becomes this means to actually get to know somebody even yeah. though you're putting it on display for other people. And it's really interesting because I, you know, my first run of my podcast it's been over a year i feel like since it ended mm-hmm. and I had like 55 episodes and some of my earliest episodes of people like kamal bell um who else am I? well kamal bell is a good example because kamal bell just won an emmy this week right and for a cnn show yeah yeah and I had this moment where, like, because me and Kamal have, like, you know, we hung out and had that conversation. We've hung out a couple times after that. Um, like we really broke down a couple times. But yeah. I haven't seen him in right. about a year. Right. And you have that moment where, like, is this guy still my friend? Like, we, we talked for a couple hours on a podcast, right. but that was, like, three years ago. Right. Like, are we still buds? That's the weird thing about yeah. this thing that we do because there are a lot of people that come in here and we have conversations where we we, we get choked up sometimes yeah. and then I never see them again. Right. I think that is that is the psychological hazard to podcasting that yeah. needs to be talked about right. more because I remember when I went on on Marin's show for the first time Yeah, like I felt like that guy was my buddy, right. you know, but I had to really check myself like, no, this dude, he does this. He does this twice a day. He had just talked time. to the lead singer of Tool that morning. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I'm feeling his connection, but I'm thinking to myself, like, this dude, this is what he does. Well, and the funny thing is listening to that episode, he was nervous talking to you, I felt like. Yeah, because, you know, he didn't want to. Ep- he didn't want to mess anything up. Well, for men of that age yeah. and that, you know, political orientation, right. the last thing they want to do is say something insensitive. Totally. Culturally. Totally. And speaking to a rapper, everything they say is an opportunity to take a misstep. Totally, totally. Yeah. I will say, like, even having known you now for, like, probably a decade yeah. at least. Yes. Like, yeah, we probably met in like 05, 06, I 05, think. definitely. Yeah, so like over a decade. Yeah. It gets to a point where 
your scene that you came up with or your people that you came up with, it, everybody starts to splinter and right. go their own way because we're all adults. We're in our mid thirties. Like we're all pursuing our own shit now. And it's like, we've established our identities well enough to mm-hmm. where like the, the, the scene environment is no longer useful, right. you know, but then it gets to a point where like you start, I start personally getting in my own head so much about like, Oh man, I don't want to like bug this guy mm-hmm. and think that I'm like reaching out just to like utilize this, that, or that, or I don't like, and so then in turn, it becomes this thing where I only get to see my friends now when they're pushing a record. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we live four blocks away from right. each other, but I, I just am like, well, Mike's a busy guy and I'm not going to like bug him over some shit because he, because like people, I always, I always just assume that people like want something from each other and that's probably just me projecting. Well, yeah, I think you should come through and hang out. I would like to do that more frequently. Cause, yeah. and I, Cause I'm typically when I'm at home, yeah, like after Asa gets out of school, yeah, we're just at home. Or like, cause he's really, 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 really huge into playing basketball right now. Right. We'll go to the park. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, come kick it. You right. know what I mean? Right. Like, well, it's a funny thing because that's what social media has done too. Because I watch you and I, and Tiffany mm-hmm. and Asa online and right. read the stories, and I feel like that's another thing. Is like, oh, I feel like I'm so involved with watching mm. you guys' family that like. I feel creepy reaching out like, hey, man, I know all this stuff that you guys have written about your kid. I want to come, like, meet him. He sounds really tight. Yeah, you never met him? <laughs> no, I've met him a few oh, okay. times. I've met him a few Jesus. times. Uh, I've met him a few times, but I'm just saying, like, this whole social media and the podcasting is a reflection of it. Like, watching your friends do themselves because what you do is really just, like, you're selling a real human. Mm-hmm. That's what your music is. Like, you're not putting on some front like you're selling yourself as a human so like i'm watching this human that i know in person but then in turn watching people react to your humanity and it really catching on Mm -hmm. becomes like oh i don't i'm like just another part of this crowd watching i mean i I don't deserve to to like hit him up now this this, this is the thing man like what i found is that i need to be around humans like more than ever Mm. you know um and and I think it, it it goes back to what you were saying earlier about things splintering off. And mm-hmm. I felt that really viscerally because I've been a part of like different crews, crews and yeah. stuff. And like and then you have like this real touchstone of like, man, I used to see that dude every day. Right. You know what I mean? Now, you know, I I, I rarely do. And what I miss out of all of that is just having people around me who I have like history with. Right. You know what I mean? Totally. And um I don't know. Like, I, I think I think I need friends now, like yeah. more than ever, like like friends, like people you don't have to retell your whole story to people right. who already know, know and yeah. understand the angle. Mm-hmm. Like we led a strange life in our 20s yeah. that a lot of people can't relate to. I don't think. Exactly. And and, and I like I'm I play in a volleyball league. I play that's in co-ed casual volleyball. League. Yeah. And, um, Do you wear the the booty shorts? I would, but I don't. <laughs> um, I wear knee pads. Nice. Um, these are awesome people, but they're all like professionals. Like they work jobs, and like you know, we'll go get a drink after the game, and you know, people will start talking about their day, and I'm like, oh, can't relate. It's not that I can't relate. It's just that like when I start talking about mine. Then I feel like, am I like bragging? Like, am I like, you know what I mean? Am I like, because I don't, you know, and and there's all sorts of mutual respect there, like with all of us. And we're all genuinely cool. But it's like, man, I 
really love it when I'm around musicians or around creatives or around like stand-up comics, just like people who kind of have an idea and, and everybody's participating in the world their own different way of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a, more, a little bit more of a common ground. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. It, I feel like it's sad. I, 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 this is probably the same conversation that we had last time you were on the show, but it's sad that like our everybody splintered off and like I don't get to see those people I have that shared history with that much anymore but also part of it is just because like um, these own interpersonal relationships some of them splinter harder individually absolutely and then you don't know where you stand with other people because of those certain relationships and so my instinct is just to like go more internal and like never leave the crib unless forced (laughs) (laughs) I I mean I'm always like I'm like a fucking um I don't know what it is about my personality style, but like I just try to. I'm pretty cool with everybody. I don't yeah. know what that means. Like that means that must, something. That must mean that like some like I'm I'm not vulnerable enough in some some sense because there's no way I could actually be cool with everybody. Yeah. But I do feel cool with everybody. Like, but what what ends up leading to my isolation is first of all just kind of having a family, and so when I'm home, we just kind of want to be at home. Right. And then um. During the day while I'm, like, moving and grooving and doing things, like, I would love to be around people doing that. It's just that, like— You're a lot more mobile when you're by yourself. Well, yeah, and and I usually need to be working with somebody in some sense to have right. that. Right, you right. You know? Like, right now I'm doing, like, a bunch of video stuff with my guy Dave who, like, he's basically out here to work with me. Right. And we have history and we're friends. So it's, like, perfect because, like, I'm not—if I'm hanging out with him— I'm not wasted time. Right. Like we're doing stuff, we're working, but we're also laughing and yeah. being friends. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's a certain thing that people that aren't in a creative industry, where you're an independent worker. I mean, basically, as an indie rapper, you're an independent contractor. Yes, like everything is a gig, mm-hmm. and so you have to kind of develop this lifestyle around. Your socialization is also work. Right. Like, yeah, I'm going to hang out with people that I like, but it's because we're both going to be creating something. How capitalist is that? Totally. (laughs) Totally. So people talk about, you don't have a job, but it's like, nah, I'm literally working 24 hours a day. Yo, to the point where national holidays, Mm -hmm. they make me sick. Right. They make, like, I get so upset. You're telling me you're not going to respond to my email today? Exactly Because you work in an office and I don't? Exactly that. Like, and I'm like, I need an answer now. And you're like, I'm on vacation. I'm like, what the fuck is a vacation? Right, like, right. What is that? It's that whole thing where people can tend to look at it like your life every day is a Saturday. And when you look at it, it's like every day is Monday. Every day. Yeah. Every day is Monday. I love Mondays. Yeah. Because I get answers on Mondays. Totally. You know? <laughs> right. I right. love it. It's like Christmas every right, Monday. Right, right. That's tight. Um, we got way off track, but I'm still, cu- <laughs> I'm still curious about Baron. And on- honestly, I'm even more curious about just – your envelopment into the into the comedy so world stealthy, in general. So stealthy. I just you snuck in the back door and like you're like an you're like the official comedian. I'm a burglar, favorite. G. I'm yeah. a burglar. So tell me about your path in the last few years of how you've become so. Um, uh, in, I mean, just involved in the comedy scene. I mean, I think that it starts with having a friendship with Hannibal. Yeah, going way back. I think that's where it starts. Cause like some of the first 
gigs I did where I was rapping on a comedy show was like when Hannibal was hosting comedy at the Knitting Factory okay. in Brooklyn. So if I'd be out there, if he was doing his show, I'd come do songs on that. Um, a big thing out here for me in that, in taking steps to that path, was doing stuff at UCB. Mm. Like doing ASCAT. Oh, you did ASCAT? Did you take as, UCB cl- classes? No. Um, okay. You know, ASCAT. You're, you're the guy that comes out and does the story. The monologist, okay, yeah. But yeah, sometimes yeah. they have what's called a musical monologist. Uh, and I did that twice. And that was huge because, like, the, at especially at that time, the stuff I was writing, the audience ate it all up. The performers enjoyed it and enjoyed performing off of it. And I started having relationships with them, the performers. So mm. you would do ASCAT, and then Matt Besser would be like, Oh, I'm doing this other show. Come be the musical guest on it because they love to have musical, musical guests. guests. Like they, I think there's some thing, some like self esteem thing in comics where they feel like music is just so much cooler than what they do. Right. Yeah. So they, right. they always love to have a musician on. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because like from the outside looking in, watching your relationship with comedy, I'm like, yo, these guys feel so much cooler having Mike around. They do. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can feel it, but which makes, like, what you're doing for them so fucking valuable. But, you know, me, yeah. I always have the imposter syndrome thing in my head. Right. Like, do I deserve to be here? Yeah. Like, when are they going to kick me out? Right. Like, when are they going to find out I don't belong here? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing that's constantly in my head. Right, I, right. Dude, I'm on the fucking Ted Leo album. Who's that? I don't Ted know Leo and the Pharmacist. It's like one of, like, he's an indie rock music god and, like, I'm in some studio singing backgrounds next to um, Paul F. Tompkins on one side. Wow. Uh, Ted Leo's there. Amy Mann is there. Wow. Uh, and this this, uh, this lady, Tawny Newsom, who's an incredible singer and actress. And, like, we're the background singers for this song. He's got, and I'm, like, trying to harmonize with these people. And I'm, like, I'm in my head, like, what am I doing? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But that's... I mean, Paul F. Tompkins is another big one. When I started seeing you do shows with him at the Largo, I went to one of them, and I was just like, oh, because I, I, I've... I, I, you know, yeah. we went on tour together yep. in 2010, and uh-huh. what did we do in the car the whole time? Listen to comedy albums. Exactly. Like, I'm a comedy fanatic like yeah. you are. I just never, like... I don't feel funny enough or, like, deserving enough to even... Our outlooks on like cold emailing people are are just like probably polar opposite because like I get so in my head and scared yeah. like I feel like I would ne- I just don't deserve to reach out to somebody. I mean, like, honestly, I mean, yeah. but you know, I've Paul F. Tompkins, for instance. Yeah. When the second time I did the UCB thing and I was a monologist, I made sure I had a guy there to video record it, mm, so you could send it to people and. Like, one of my targets was Paul. Paul. Like, because I saw that he had, like, his show was always super variety. And I'm like, uh, I wonder. Like, I think he'd probably be cool have to. So I, right. I just reached out like, reached out to him over Twitter. I had yeah. a rapper on the show. And I think I asked him, like, twice. And then um, he finally, like, answered back one day and told me to send him something. And I sent him that. And he wasn't into it at first. But then, like, I don't – like, something happened where – when did it, Yeah, and we ended up – Sitting down for lunch, and I was like nervous. She like right. ner- like imposter syndrome, full blown. Like, why is this man having lunch with me? Right, like, you know. Um, but yeah, that was me. Like, that was probably the only like actual planned step in this whole thing. Was like get videos, show Paul Tompkins. You know what's you funny? Know what I mean? That there's a. 
a parallel to be drawn to a rapper that I know you love. He just did the artwork for your T-shirt. Paul Barman? Paul Barman. Uh Because Paul Barman, I opened for Paul Barman like 10, 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, and talked to him about like, how did you get hooked up with Prince Paul? Mm -hmm. And he said, I just knew Prince Paul would like my shit. And he's like, when I made this, I sent one copy to Prince Paul and one copy to Steve Martin, knowing that one of them would bite and then Prince Paul bit. That's amazing. That's a lot of Pauls, though. Paul F. Tompkins. Paul, and I'm, I'm doing Paul some stuff with Prince Paul now, too. I saw that. Yeah, man. That's like that's like full that's on. That's got to be the dream. It is. I, I mean, it, it De, La Soul, is. I, De La Soul is like obviously a huge yeah. influence and important in your mm-hmm. life, I would imagine. Yeah. And it, 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 just all of his side, Grave every little diggers, weird thing, Prince yeah. Among Thieves, yeah, exactly. Psychoanalysis, all of that. Like, is his like I am one of his brain children, right? You know what I mean, right? So right. It's just like uh, you know. I want to talk more about that, but let's continue down the comedy path. Yeah. So, would you say if getting it to, to Tompkins was one of your ultimate goals, is that one of the things that opened up the yes. most doors? Then, absolutely. Yeah. And they opened up doors. I didn't even know it opened. Like. I ended up having Wyatt Cenac in a video in 2014, mm-hmm. and the people who produced the video just, like, knew him and happened to hit him up mm-hmm. to see if he would make the cameo. And uh, he was like, yeah, do it. I love my stuff. I'm like, what? Wow. And it was because he had saw some stuff at Largo. No shit. I didn't even know. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like that kind of thing. I, I had no idea at the time. Like, like I was, you know, I was— Doing shows with with Paul, with like James Adomian and Donald Glover and stuff like way before anything. So it was that's like, right. The yeah. one that I went to, I feel I think it was Donald Glover and yeah. James Adomian yeah. there, right? That was the first one, I think. Yeah. Wow, yeah. wow. It's funny because coming from an underground rap background like we do, I think in 2005, if we thought about this, it wouldn't make any sense. But in 2017, it makes so much sense just because your music, while not purposefully funny, has good punchlines and good jokes, like genuine, hilarious human observation that are also like gut-wrenchingly sad sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's what the best comedy is too, like turning these – terrible things into into jokes but you do it in a genuine way where it's not you're not like making a fucking weird owl rap song you're not doing like <laughs> right. you know yeah i'm not i'm not doing like it's not it's not a it's not comedy rap it's not comedy yeah. rap but in turn that makes it so funny mm-hmm. sometimes yeah you know what i'm saying for sure yeah um and so you guys start new negroes mm-hmm. and how, how does how does that idea spawn? well baron started new negroes at the bridgetown comedy fest in portland i want to say three maybe four years ago uh-huh. um just because he was kind of organizing like the black shows up there as part of this comedy festival and wanted to come up with a way to like package the new faces that he had come across touring around the country uh-huh. and um he started it there and uh it was super successful and um I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were of him reaching out to me about it, but um, he said, would you want to do it with me? And I'm like, hell yeah. I think yeah. the first time we did it together, I think, actually was in Bridgetown, and then we started doing it down here in L.A. as a monthly. Uh-huh. And we've done it in Denver. We've done it in New York. Uh, we've done it in San Francisco. Um, now, and- the one that I saw, it was – Around Christmas time, so it was uh, it was themed. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the Kwanzaa, the one. Kwanzaa one, which was hilarious. Yeah, that was that was that was like one of our best ones. Oh, well, I'm yeah. glad that I caught yeah. that one. <laughs> Fantastic, that's serendipitous. But uh, yeah, it was hilarious, and it was kind of themed. Um, and and Baron, uh, this is my takeaway from the show. Like, tell me if I'm getting the format mm-hmm. correct or incorrect. But you're the you're the music. Right. Uh, 
producer, the music uh, curator, how about? And he comes out and hosts, and his hosting segments are sort of themed, and then you guys have stand-ups come out in between, right? Yeah, except that typically Mm – the theme isn't such a strong through line throughout the night as it was that, that night. night. Yeah, because okay. we had like we had so much to talk about with Kwanzaa that we kind of broke it up into chunks. I didn't know any of that stuff about Kwanzaa. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, it was a lot to dive into. Yeah, um, and because I, you know, I knew some stuff about Kwanzaa because I knew you know stuff about the founder because I took a lot of like Black American studies classes yeah. in in college and I was blowing Baron's mind with some of that stuff you know and that's the thing you just never realize what could be unpacked but that's kind of what the whole show is about right. is like unpacking things right you know? so if that one was an uh, unusual one what's the show usually like then is it just Baron testing bits as he hosts well not necessarily because we tend to talk about things in the opening. But they're usually more like what's going on in the world right now okay. things, and not so much like here's a presentation yeah. like that one was. Yeah. And then, yeah, throughout the night, then, you know, he's more hosting and being a comic. Yeah, you know right. I mean? But in that first part, our banter is usually rooted in some theme. Right. Yeah. And what's your involvement in prep- preparing for the show? Do you guys meet up beforehand and kind of talk about what the night's going to be like? Yeah, and we, and we text and, yeah. you know, and all yeah, of that. Like, that keep shit. a keep a always open line of communication because between the live show and then building this TV show, like, me and Baron are talking, like, almost all daily. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, has the production of a television show been gratifying like are you enjoying it no (laughs) no uh we are in a very interesting position we're a black show called the new negroes um we're on a pretty white network it's a network that's striving for diversity but i feel like often doesn't know what to do with diversity and but and we have a black exec yeah a black network exec which is incredible yeah um we're partnered with funny or die as a production company which is not a black company Mm -hmm. um so we're always having to walk this line between what is the best practical idea and what is the idea that feels the best because feel is important because if this doesn't go right, then me and Baron are going to get our asses chewed out by black Twitter. Mm. And like that is a constant haunting thought like on my shoulder at all times. Like this shit has to feel right. Like I know we have to have all our um, – Eyes dotted and our T's crossed on all the things that Comedy Central ever worries about in terms of production and reach and demo and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the show is called The New Negroes, and me and Baron have to make sure that things feel right to us in a way that's not always easily translatable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we end up in these weird conversations all the time. We're trying to explain, like, what— why something's important, but we're also not trying to force the issue because we don't want to be wrong either. Mm-hmm. You know, like we want to make sure that this works smoothly for everybody and we don't know how to make a television show. We've never done this either. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's not fun. It's a unique challenge. It's an awesome opportunity, but it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Do you do you think it'll become fun? It certainly has the potential to become fun. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, is it 
is has it been um, a challenge that you appreciate though? Like I'm saying, like what yeah. are you getting out of it? It's not that I do think it's the challenge that I appreciate because yeah. I I want to know how to do this. Yeah, you know, like I said, I need to know how things work, right? So like if I can figure out how to do this to where like because ultimately, right? Let's say you really want to make a rap album, but you never have, uh-huh. and uh, it is. Lee's rap album, uh-huh. Lee's going to be the face of it. So if it ain't right, Lee's going to get it, right, right? Right. But you might not know the ins and outs of the studio or the production, yeah. the boards, whatever, right? And you might have a thing that you feel like, man, uh, I should have I should have more delay on this part of the thing. And your engineer could be like, no, that doesn't sound good. And the engineer's mm-hmm. got all the experience, mm-hmm. but it's your thing. Mm-hmm. But you also want to respect his experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. But it, so it's like, but but if you... It's like picking your battles. Yeah. But if, as, as you make albums more, then you know when to fight that battle. You know what hill to die on. See, right now, I don't know what hill to die on. Mm-hmm. So I'm always like, mm. Mm-hmm. I want to fight you right now, but I'm not gonna. Right, right. Or I am, and I don't know if I should. Right. I have a lot of conversations where I have to tell people that I'm having an internal fight about what we're talking about. Right. Right. Now. Like a lot of meta conversations. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. How. <sighs> You're so fucking busy all the time, I think, or at least that's what you present to the world, and I'm sure that's pretty accurate. It is. So, but I also play a lot of video games, so that's that's you okay. Know, that's the balance. Right. I am hella busy, but right. I find lots of hours of the Free day time. to play video games. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm gonna talk to you off air about what video games you're playing. Oh, I'm let's curious. talk on it. Wait, but I have, <laughs> but I have, a, I have a guided question. Like, how, sure. how are you balancing and dividing your time between? what you always have been or you know what you've always been working on which is the rap music with all of these other roles that you're becoming and growing into because everything else that i'm doing ultimately has rap music involved in it in one right, way or another right. so it's not even that much of a departure well so i guess what my question was is like how the fuck did you find time to write another album basically um how did i find time to write another album i think um yeah, it's not even, you know, I have my take the kid to school at 9, he gets picked up at 3.30, I have my day. Yeah. Right? And um, this year has not been me, like, I I wrote a script for a script to show this, like, it's a whole other deal in the works for that thing. Nice. Um, But aside from that and, like, pitching and developing the pitch and stuff for uh-huh. the pros. I, I mean, my time has still been pretty much just make music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it hasn't, nothing else has really come through and consumed. And in fact, it lightened up some because my podcast is on hiatus. Right, right. So I actually had more time. But you picked up another podcast too. I am going to be like on three. There you go. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you do the wrestling podcast. Yeah. And, and what, what are the other ones? Secret Skin's coming back. Nice. And, uh, there's this other one I'm talking to mid-roll about, and there's this other one. So um, it might be four? I think it might be four. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of work. That's insane. Um, that's really crazy. But you did take a little break from making music, it seemed like, or at least relative to your terms, no? I don't think so. I okay. Put, you know, I put out a... I put out an album last year. Oh, you did? Yeah. Wait, which one? Uh, Hella Personal Film Festival. Oh, I, that's, that's right. That's right. Okay, never mind. I, yeah. yeah, people talk about it as though you haven't put out a record because you haven't put out a quote-unquote solo, solo record. record. But yeah. when you work with an, with just one producer, that's still a yeah. record. Yeah, but I, I'm glad. I'm really glad that I 
chose to or that that it turned out that we did that as like a co-build album mm. because it is different than a solo album in terms of the ownership of the details of it mm. you know what i mean mm. and like the decisions that get made in terms of the final product um and i tend to enjoy making records more on my own like i love the cohesion of sound when you work with one producer that's great mm. but i love even more, I think, the ownership of details and being able to make exactly what I want and not having to, like, negotiate with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, I do think those projects are a little different. Was that your first time working strictly with one producer? No. Nah, um, my Animal Hospital album I did with one guy, too. Okay. I did have with Awkward. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very used to just balancing another yeah. person's work ethic with mine, and it's a and sometimes there's a lot of waiting involved. You're you're a good collaborator. See, I'm not a good collaborator. Oh, I'm the worst collaborator. No, you're not the worst because the worst collaborator is me. Because I don't even like I won't do it anymore. I don't think. Really? I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. I really don't. Like you're just going to make your own beats now. No, I mean I'm gonna I'm never gonna work with one producer. Well, but then you're collaborating with twelve people, thirteen people. That's not really collaborating. It's more like, hey, give me that. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do something to it. I might let you hear it later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's very much and the producers who I work with, they don't always enjoy this process. Yeah. Like, surprise, here's that song I did over your album. I'm over your song, it's now on my album. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the best way to work with people. It's just the way that I prefer to work with people. As your name continues to grow and the records get more and more recognition as you continue to uh, to make them, um, when you're working with multiple people like that, does the business end of it get more confusing? Because that's one thing I've never really learned or figured out. And does just like does Mellow just handle that for you? That well, my management handles all yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, all that shit scares me, man. Right. Because like, you got to get all of these things in a row, and typically. Um, you got to figure out the splits for you and the That's producer saying, and this yeah. and that and the publishing and the master and all that. Yeah. And like, honestly, typically, like, my shit's not licensed much. I've licensed like three songs in my whole career. Right. And other than that, there's not really any money made. So I really hate that part. I really right. hate like... Well, with the streaming the now, though, that, like, I'm sure your shit's doing good on Spotify. Yeah, but I don't see... Look... Yeah. My biggest songs are like 3 million plays on Spotify. I don't know how much. It's like, what, $28 or something? I don't know what that is. And, yeah. and, I, and you know, ultimately, I push my label to spend as much money as they can marketing the thing. Yeah. So I'm never – like, I, I got some cool royalties off of uh, the EP I put out. A special episode right after Dark Comedy. Uh-huh. Like that's the one with uh the the biggest song on Spotify. That one's on that one. What's that song? Um Ziggy Starfish. Oh yeah yeah. Um and like oh I was like, oh my God. Like this project recouped and is making money. But uh-huh. that's such an aberration in my career. Like uh-huh. typically I'm always just kind of riding the line to breaking even, you know? With the goal of like touring and making the money there or what? Uh, yeah, or, or you know, I, I look at it mostly like cultural capital, though, yeah. honestly, like... Like your Twitter right now, basically? Yeah, and like, you know, like increasing awareness and, um... I mean your Twitter in the sense that, like, you got a bunch of people that follow and then you're eventually going to figure out how to monetize them. You know Kind of, but, but it's, not, it's not necessarily directly about monetizing. It's more like brand recognition, you know what I mean? Right. Like, 
if I can make this album feel like an event, to me, that is way more successful than like selling a bunch of copies of it. I know the label might not agree because they're the ones investing all that money and they want to get their money back. But, uh, Getty and I always talk about that, about making albums try to feel like an event. Yeah. Because I've only put out like really two actual records. So every one of yours is is for sure. They always feel like an event. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, Getty puts out like hundreds of records and he's like, I don't know how to make them like an event. And I'm like, just space them out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough too because he's not a guy who wants to avail himself to the the masses in the way that like, I, you know. He's one of the most pure artists. He is. You know what I'm saying? Like he just, it's, it's a, it's a, a, the art is a sickness in him almost. Mm -hmm. Like he can't help but but do it. And and do it like in this amazing space where you would think that the artistry itself would do some of that heavy lifting right. marketing, but that's like unfortunately yeah, yeah. our reality doesn't ever really seem to catch up to that totally you know yeah um so wait oh you you just kind of brushed by the fact that you wrote a scripted comedy too yeah so is that me and me and a, me and a guy um i have a writing partner and we wrote a script wow you're like really out here doing like i am you're not growing. playing no you're games dude. i'm trying to get this money do you know how much, yeah. money, you know how much money this hollywood shit like do you i know, don't do these motherfuckers piss away money dude. really they piss away so how does that work do you money. get like an agent or something too i got an agent yeah wow. but see i got i stumbled into having a damn agent yeah because um my booking agency is windish yeah windish kind of got acquired or bought or merged with Paradigm, oh, yeah, which yeah. is a talent agency. Yeah. And so, like, I happened to be one of the Windish artists that also had some things in the work in TV film. Uh-huh. And so, so they like, just, you need an agent. They just matched me with an agent. Yeah. You know? And so your agent is just like, yo, do, uh, can you write a TV script or what? Or were you already working on that? What happened was there's a production company. Mm-hmm. They reached out to me over Twitter because they assumed from my tweets that I had something to sell in that realm. And so they brought me in for a meeting, and I hadn't had one of these yet. Now I've had a million of these. So yeah, I kind of get like, like generals, what it's about. Generals, yeah, yeah, I had never had one. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, they're basically just seeing if I had any ideas. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple ideas, uh, like just stuff that you would think about. You're like, oh, that'd be funny, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I reached out to this guy I know uh, who's a writer. He's a TV writer. And um, we developed one of the ideas and showed it to this production company. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I think we can work this out. And so we developed a pitch mm-hmm. and we started taking it around different networks to see who, um, who was interested. And it got bought and we were paid to do the script, mm-hmm. paid to revise the script. Um, they had it in their development, whatever. And then they passed on it. Mm. Um, so that means it didn't make it to like pilot season or? Right. Okay. Exactly. Because that's the next step after getting bought and pitched is then mm-hmm. pilot. And then if the pilot goes good, then it gets picked up. Yeah. All right. And um, But even to have sold it is a big step. Yeah. And somebody else just bought it from them. Oh, nice. So this. I'm going to get paid all over again. That's tight. For the same damn script. <laughs> <laughs> that's so what I mean. They're like, pissing out money. I, dude. Like. Yeah. Dude, I, I I can't get into details, of right, numbers, right. but what they gave us to write that script, uh-huh. I don't. I'll never sell that many albums in my life. Huh. I'll never sell that many albums. Right. You know, right. like it's just it's it's just a different economy, man. Mm-hmm. And like the money that they offered us to make that script, like 
my lawyer wanted us to walk away from the deal because he thought it was too low. Wow. And I'm like, who the fuck do you think I am? Yeah, like, do, you right. think, do you know what I do? Right. Do you know how much shucking and jiving I would have to do for this money in my wow. my abusive life? Are yeah. you kidding me? Right. And then you got and then you got to, to double up on it. Yeah, man. For for no extra work. I mean, it's probably gonna be some extra work. I mean, it's yeah. all, and it's always a headache, G. Because like yeah. these networks, they don't communicate like with each other directly. Like the people who I talk to, mm-hmm. they're business development departments communicate with the other companies business development departments mm-hmm. that shit takes fucking forever mm. and like it'll kill you it'll kill the anxiety will kill you like you'll get good news in february <laughs> and nothing will happen to like june mm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. So it's a lot of just like hurry up and wait. Yeah, man. Yeah. A lot of like, a lot of like, and, and you know, like the story of the new Negroes getting sold is crazy, man. We almost lost that deal like twice. You know, was it always just for Comedy Central, or were other people looking yeah, at it? Yeah, there too? were other buyers too. Yeah. That's where it got. It was, it was harrowing at some points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Is is the New Negroes TV show still going to be like a stand-up showcase thing? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you you and Jonathan both ended up on Adventure Time. Yeah, on the same episode. How did and that peep happen? this, dude. Yeah. They didn't know we knew each other. Wow. That's weird. That's crazy. See, I, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, looking from the outside in, was like, oh, one of them knew somebody and then said, oh, I have a friend who also – would be interested in this because you guys have known each other for so fucking long. Do you know, do my adventure time angling. You had a podcast about adventure. Exactly. Like, and we, you know, we built relationships with the creators of the show from that, you know? Um, So they knew about me and knew that I was so down anytime to do something with them. Um, we, We had talked about that. I had talked about that with the showrunner of even, way before even the podcast had started. Like, oh, really? Yeah, I was angling. Yeah, I was like, that was peak angling year for me. Like, that was when, Mar- like, Marin and all of that, like, I was just, so I was, was a cold, cold emailing monster, man. Like, that And they year. bid on that. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but I think something, something happened where I made some mention of Adventure Time and, um, Somebody tweeted somebody like, yo, look at this and Adventure somebody, Time and, reference. And the guy like followed me. And I'm uh, like, okay, this yeah, is the end. I'm writing this cold DM. Oh, you yeah. Know what I mean? like, I'm, yeah. As soon as somebody with that check mark follows, <laughs> you got to just see like, why are you following me? <laughs> I mean, what are we doing? But how many, I've done that so many times and gotten no response. Oh, dude. yeah, absolutely. Like, and, like, and that's the part that blows my mind. Yeah. It's like, why did you do this? Right, why did you right. press this button? Like, right. what? what is this? You right, know? right. I don't, you know, like there's. So he's one that you nibbled and and he yeah, yeah pulled yeah, the hook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, what happened with that? Uh, you guys just kept in contact. Yeah, and I, you know, I pitched him. I guess pitch the word. I guess pitch. Not quite pitch. I don't know. We kept in contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really. In, we're talking about the Adventure Time showrunner. Yeah, yeah. He was really in, uh, instrumental in making the Adventure Time podcast as official as it was. Because once. Um, I told him we were coming from a pretty reputable net. We're coming from, uh, you know, American public media, and it's going to be a legit thing. And we reached out to see if they wanted to be involved. Like, he ran it right up the pipeline of Cartoon Network, and they were like, yes. Wow. And 
So we were able to talk to so many of the voice actors, so many of the producers, so many of the animators, directors. Like it really, it was that was huge having him. That was on the board. Adventure Time podcast. Yeah, basically. like it yeah. basically, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so that was huge. Uh, so yeah, I, I knew about they knew about me from that. And I guess, you know, once it got put up that they were going to have another rap episode, he reached out to me. And I didn't find out until I think, I want to say like the week before, they were like, yeah, and these are going to be other people. And I'm like, what? Dove Like, yeah. what? And like, do you guys know? It? No, they had no idea. That's dude. so funny. Yeah. That's really funny. Is the episode out? No, it'll be, it's it's actually airing Monday. Yeah, you've done a lot of like cartoon voiceovers, no? I've done or relatively uh, two things. I've done a thing that's just on the web, but it's like got Hannibal and mm-hmm. a couple other people in it. And uh, I've done. I saw that at your birthday party, yes. and I think. And you know what's funny is when HBO came out with Animals or whatever. I, I didn't was see like, that. It's I, it's a Duplass Brothers thing. It's kind of it's it's hit or miss, but. Okay. Um, I was like, wait, is this the thing that Mike and Hannibal were in? Mm. Um, because it lo- it was kind of similar to that. Like you got that one that I saw of you. It's like with animals, right? Yeah. yeah there's like yeah. humans and animals. It never gets explained why. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of how animals is. Interesting. But it's more just animals, not as many humans. So the humans are kind of evil in that show. Huh. Yeah. Um, Anyhow, so then you did the adventure time thing. Yeah. Is voiceover something you would want to pursue as well? Yeah, I like doing voice stuff. Um, I did this other thing with this, this stop motion thing. I did a voiceover for um, – damn, I can't remember the name of it right now. But And, I, you know, I took a lot of, like, acting classes last year too because I wanted to really try to, like, do all of it. That's Act, what I was going to ask. Acting's is Acting's hard. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you were taking, like, UCB classes. Uh, I probably should have, mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe I will at That's some like point. the boot camp now for actor, comedic yeah. actors in, in Hollywood. They're like, oh, you got an agent? Go take UCB. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, improv would definitely help. I, improv would be, like, a skill set I can use, like, right now all the time. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I wanted to uh, – because I, I kept getting auditions because I have an agent. Mm. They would just put me up for stuff, and I'd get auditions, and I'd never get a, get the role because I don't know how to act for shit. So mm. I was like, let me take some acting classes so I can try to like – but then I realized, oh, acting is really hard. Really? It's really difficult. It's funny because I, I – like in my um, – own just like egotistical mind i'm like acting seems easy oh no like i like now i kind of have a little bit of refined eyes where i can look at a television show and tell like who's a good actor and who's a bad bad actor and good acting man like it's difficult right like the the uh the level of choices you have to make like you really your first mind wouldn't think about all you would just see the words on the page and be like you would say the words but like the level of choices to like how you say words and like what you're doing with your hands and like all, like there's just so much forethought that yeah. has to go into it but it has to look completely seamless it's yeah. crazy that's funny you know it's a good indicator or not a good indicator but it's something that i've noticed now that we live in LA we see people on TV that we know or mm-hmm. have met you know what i'm saying and sometimes i'll watch shows with somebody that i have met and had multiple interactions with and i can tell if they're good or bad at acting on some like after a while do i forget that i know that person mm, you know what i mean yeah because sometimes i watch people act and i'm just like oh 
there's them and they're on a screen, <laughs> but that's them. But then if I watch somebody that I've met a few times and I, eventually I just like the fact that I know who they are is completely out of sight, out of mind. I'm like, oh, they're actually a really good wow. actor. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because yeah. it's just a, it's, it's have they slipped into that persona. Right. And, and you just you're immersed in the world now rather than like the right. real life thought of. Other than like there's Bobby making a bad choice. Right. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's Bobby making his acting face. Uh, that's yeah. funny, dude. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Like. Being in this town as long as we have, like, you you know, you have that feeling all the time. Like, you can barely turn on a television show and not see somebody you know or had some, like, personal um, experience yeah. with. And that's weird, man. Like, I feel like I ruined TV for myself like yeah. that. Because, like, I don't know. Like, every time that happens, it, like, pushes my ambition button too. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I'm already doing too much. I need to chill out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um I'm grateful that like T V accidentally got ruined for me when I was nineteen. The year that I moved to California, I went to a taping of the man show. Oh wow. With Kimmel and and, and Corolla. And, Corolla. Yeah. and it was one of the worst experiences <laughs> ever. Like seeing a live T V show being produced um was terrible. It Especially was, that that kind of show, right? Because it's all mostly it's like a lot of tape segments, but then like the, the home yeah. segments and, that they probably yeah. have to keep redoing over right, and over again. Right. Yeah. And and you know you're nineteen, you're a nineteen year old douchebag, and that's like the douche fucking theme show. It was, and, that was and the king of the douche. Everybody's show. like, yeah, man, they get you drunk, they give you beer, they give you one half full beer while you're there, and you're sitting there for like two hours, yeah. and like the it was just I was like, oh wow, this is all just like smoke and mirrors. It's the, not cool at all. Did I ever tell you about the tape and I went to camp to camp? No, the first season no i it was so bad i didn't i didn't watch that show for the first two wow. seasons because the taping was horrible really? and it wasn't that like the sketches were bad or anything it's just that we're there taping and they're taping like those home segments where they come out and they yeah to the clips it looks like a stand-up show kind of or something apparently this one woman that was sitting near our section I guess whoever she was with told her that they were just going to a comedy show. Mm. And she was drunk. Mm. She was fucking heckling the TV tape. (laughs) (laughs) And like not where it was like, oh, this is a bit. No. Like my whole section, we were trying to leave. Mm. But she was ruining it, dude. Like they had to get like the person, the director, producer, whoever was over the PA was like, can the audience please be quiet? Like because it's one lady she would not stop yelling at the stage like just at the screen playing the skits no no because oh. they're you know the, yeah they're there. and peel are out there on oh, okay. stage throwing to the skits yeah and she's like uh nigga why your pants so tight like you know what i mean <laughs> like really giving it to him and he's like trying to ignore it yeah. it's a fucking tv taping like when does that ever happen right they wouldn't even let us leave Wow. Yeah, that's the thing. That's yeah. the other thing is like once you're in, you kind of feel you're trapped. Locked in. You're yeah. Locked in. Like part of me, I, you know, we live right by where Jeopardy gets taped. Really? Part, yeah. Like oh, the, is that a culvert? It's Sony. Yeah. Okay, right there. Like, and so I, I want to like in my heart of hearts, I want to go to a Jeopardy taping because I love Jeopardy. But I don't want Jeopardy to be ruined for me right. either. Like right. I want to see Trebek in person because that's that's the man. But like. 
I don't want Jeopardy to be ruined for me forever like TV was after I saw Amanda. You know, one, one of the things that's been the thrust of my adulthood is that I've learned my natural inclination is to get so close to things that I ruin them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I naturally do. Like, right. every, every rap back that I love, I get so close to them to ruin it. Because um, cause you just realize that everybody's just a fucking person. Right. And and I get too close. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, Ron and Fez. Do we ever talk about Ron and Fez? I think we briefly talked about Ron and Fez because I think last time you were here, that's kind of what was going on. Is you had see. made the Ron and Fez right, thing that kind of yeah. like became a theme song, right? Yeah, they used it a few times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But that was the thing where like I – I'm, I needed to be a part of that. Right, because that's know? what it was. When you were here last, you were talking about how that's the only podcast you listen to was right like catching time, yeah. up with Ron and Fez show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Now it's our wrestling podcast. Yeah. And I'm about to ruin that for myself, too. Because you're going to be on all of them. Yeah, and, and now we're going to have wrestlers on ours and shit. It's, it's sooner or later. Yeah. I'm going to fuck this up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something's going to happen. I'm going to be like, oh. Getting too close to the sun. That's my thing. Yeah. That's my thing, man. Mm -hmm. That's what all that cold emailing is about. Ruining shit for me. You know what's funny? You said something a minute ago that, like, when you see somebody you know on TV, it's like, presses that that ambition button. Yeah. And that's something that just turned off in me recently. Mm -hmm. Like, I came to that realization. I don't know what it is. Like, I think it's because I've just been reading about white male mediocrity so much that I'm like, oh, oh, wait. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, this whole time I thought I was special and I'm just a mediocre white guy. And I'm like, now I don't have big ambitions of being famous anymore. I genuinely did five years ago. Yeah. And now I'm like, ah, fuck it. Whatever. I'm just like a normal human now. Wow. Yeah. How weird is that? What's that like? Like, what's that like, that transition? The transition has been strange for me because I I am genuinely trying to transition into, like, Lee Shaner. Like, wow. I bought LeeShaner.com. Oh. I have a Lee Shaner Instagram that I haven't started yet, but okay. I will eventually. But, like, I'm knowing that, um, you know, kind of neat. The brand is not working out how I thought it would. Really? Nah, of course not. And I don't. What was it supposed to do? I have no idea. Okay. I never really knew. I thought it, I thought I was going to figure it out along the way. I think maybe in the back of my mind, I thought it would become uh, a platform for me to start a really like popping indie label. Ah. Maybe that was one of them. Or I thought like maybe I could pitch this as a TV show at yeah. some point, but I've not figured out how to do that. Oh, uh, we could talk about that. I mean, I would love to. Realistically, you yeah. know, that might be. I always saw in opposition this, to your transition. No, you know I mean I mean? would still be. I I am somebody that pursues opportunities that mm-hmm. arise. Mm-hmm. Same the same way as you. I just mm-hmm. probably don't pursue them with as much veracity as you do. And I'm also not as good at spotting opportunities as you mm-hmm. are. You know what I'm saying? Uh, which I, I I definitely look up to you in that sense. Um, but yeah, maybe I saw this going as like a kind of a 120 minutes type thing. Like uh, I, I always loved Matt Pinfield as a kid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, my point is transitioning into like normalcy it's funny because like what i see myself transitioning into is still something that most people would consider a pipe dream because i'm like i've been shooting a lot more photos and i have like i've like acquired a pretty great portfolio now and i'm like oh i'm gonna start like marketing myself as a photographer and probably make more money doing that and that to some people is like a dream and that to me is like my backup right (laughs) which is still kind of funny um so anyway i don't know what it's like transitioning it's just it, sometimes I find myself looking for jobs. Wow! Even, I don't need I don't need one, but sometimes I think like I spent so many years of my youth going like I never want to work in this office environment again. I never want to work for somebody again. And now that it's been seven years since I've worked for anybody, I'm like, 
it would be so nice to just have health insurance yeah, health and a four hundred one k. health insurance is real. Yeah. So anyway. that's interesting. What, like, what, what kind of jobs? What kind of job would you work? Like, what would you? What would you be like happy doing? I I would not be happy doing anything. Like, yeah. I'm never happy. Yeah, that's part of the other th- realization of life that's, for me. Yeah, is, that's that's some shit I got doing secret skin. I realize that, that nobody nothing, nobody's happy. Nothing though. makes you happy. And yeah. you, the thing that I've really been dealing with a lot lately is like everyone has this idea of making it right. Right. And I've come to like I, I this is not a new revelation, but there is no quote unquote it because as soon as you get to it. There's another level. You realize that it is farther away than you thought, mm-hmm. and that, and that, like, okay, now I'm here, and what the fuck do I do now? You gotta, you gotta keep thinking of more its. You know, you know, one reason I'm really into, like, because now the only podcasts I listen to are like professional wrestling podcasts. Yeah. Um, because I love to hear like the thoughts of, you know, established wrestlers that were super famous, like just. Their thoughts on today's product, just the old stories and all of that. And they're interesting because there is a making it for them. Mm-hmm. And then, like, then they have this whole psychological minefield of, like, how long they can make it mm-hmm. and what the hell they can do after making it. Because it's literally a thing you can only do until, like, your body starts giving out. Like, there's a shelf life. Right. And that's you know? kind of the point, too, is, like, when you think you make it, when you're at it, you're like, fuck, this yeah. is so temporary. Mm-hmm. It is so temporary. Right. And like what comes after it? And so that's why I think like whether consciously or subconsciously that I've started trying to like tra- transition into like thinking. I, I never thought about the future. Mm. I, I always thought about the now. And now I'm starting to kind of go like, oh, I need to think about the future because like I, I don't know. Like I guess I never worried about a safety net. Now I'm starting to think about a safety net because I realize like that it as when when it's over no one gives a fuck do you um you wanted to be famous five years ago to an extent yeah i always felt like i wanted to be like something do you feel like you at that point you feel like you had something like to say to everybody like that i always felt like i had something to say but i feel like enough people have told me that i wasn't really saying shit do you do you agree with that uh, to an extent, I, I, that's the thing when people tell me like, "Oh, pitch yourself." I don't know. I don't. I never had an elevator pitch because I think like um, I, I like to think of myself as a very three dimensional human, and it's hard to like smush that down to a two, it's hard, two it's hard, D yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah it, it takes somebody outside of you to do that. Like, yeah, right, you do that yourself, right. And I like never impossible. had anybody willing to like say, "Oh, this is who you are." Like, I was just doing what I do, just doing me. So, and, and that's the whole thing. T- I guess. I, I guess the question is. I was wondering if you thought you had something to say and if you think now that you don't have something to say yeah. or no, that's not it. I, I'm I it's not that I, I think everyone has something to say. Sure, I agree. Everybody does. I think that's kind of that's kind of part of my thing yeah. that I have to say is yeah. that everybody's got something to say. Everybody has something to say, but I think some people um, have the drive to get out there and say it. And then if that drive goes away, then maybe you don't have anything left to say. Hmm. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know what the fuck I was saying. But I also I think everything I used to say in my records was very, like, self-centered. I mean, but what usually rap is, like, yeah. it's hard to get away from that. Right, rap, right, you know? right. Because if not, then you're – who are you speaking for? Right. Like, well, and so that's the thing is, like, if you can't find that universality uh, – or if that's even a word. But if you can't find that kind of, like, universal appeal and you're just talking – about you to someone who relates to you that someone's going to be very niche not necessarily i feel like 
on paper you would think that, yeah. but I feel like within rap, people have found a lot of like populist angles with that, where like they find a way to make their self exploration so relatable yeah. that a whole bunch of other people feel like you're speaking for them too. Right, absolutely. Oh, and I think that I achieved that yeah. to some extent. Absolutely. Like, I, you know, and the thing, you know, every time I beat myself up about stuff, I have plenty of people that tell me that I'm being an asshole for beating myself up uh-huh. on Twitter. They're like, people will respond to this and go like, you don't give yourself enough credit. And they're right. I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. but, um, I don't, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I, I guess I just, you posed a good question. Do I think I thought I had something to say? Sure. And I still think I do, but now I'm not so convinced that I need to say it to mm. be happy. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what my whole thought process about it is, is like, what if it is just like being satisfied? Yeah. Satisfaction is is the elusive beast in all of this. And I think that's what I was saying when I learned doing Secret Skin is that nobody I spoke to I felt was satisfied. Nobody. So are you satisfied? Never. Right. Never. So that's that's kind of my point about transitioning is I think maybe I'm instead of like allowing myself to feel that ambition button press when I see somebody else because what that is and from my from my take it's ambition to an extent, but it's also admitting like, ooh, I'm jealous of what yes, that person Yes, absolutely. Has, right? Absolutely. Right. So I think like I'm conscientiously trying to turn it that off because I always had that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had to have you guys – some of my friends I had muted. I had you muted for mm-hmm. a while on Twitter because I'm like, damn, Mike is so popping that when I would see these big moves you made, it would I would get so jealous right. that it would it – would, it was bitterness. No, I still, I still have that like – I mean, less or so now because yeah. I feel like my lane is so like over here, right? And I'm doing my own thing that I'm like I can finally like not trip. Worry you know about what I mean? people, other, yeah. other people, but I still have that too. So and I, I'm, I would like I would like to try to find a way to work on that too because I feel like right. it's like a that's like a lack of love thing in my heart. You know what I mean? Like right. if I have more love, then like I don't trip on nothing. But that's right. not the case. You know what I mean? Well, because we're all seeking the sort of validation yeah. that we didn't get as kids. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Like me and you have similar abandonment issues. Yo, God, I have I, mean? I have the worst. Yeah, I have I awful abandonment. You've been going through to a therapist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You talk about that kind of publicly, no? Yeah, yeah. Sure. How, what have you been learning? Uh, yeah, the I've been learning like the exact effects of my abandonment issues and like how my childhood survival mechanisms I've like brought into adulthood and uh-huh. my like pretty much every problem in my life is because of that right. because like I at like some part of my decision making is stunted from that particular place uh-huh. and 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 I need to grow up but at the same time that's also that thing that probably causes that drive of wanting to like show people look how good I am at things like look at these things that I make and tell me they're good no yes um, it's, I, I think that where I'm at now, though, is like, um, hmm, I don't, I don't so much need the validation of people saying that what I do. Right. That was a very visceral good. example. Right? Yeah. I, I need, um, I see very like vivid pictures in my head of things. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I need, I I feel like the validation I need at this point is to, like, be recognized by, like, 
Um, like I always joke on Twitter about getting a Peabody Award. Mm. I really want one. Mm-hmm. Like I really, really want one. I feel like that's the validation I'm seeking. Is like I want to be uh, lauded as a creative because of these detailed choices that I make about things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the other problem. And this might be the real issue is that I want to be I want to be appreciated in the rap conversation, which is such a function of economics mm-hmm. that it's hard for me not to think about that while I'm trying to paint these pictures. And so, like, I feel like in some senses, I always end up with this final product that's like this distorted picture because the other half me desperately wants the validation of like the rap conversation. Right. And you got to have a certain kind of song to do that. And I've never had the uh, resources to really make that kind of song. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still something that I value. And, and that's something that there are so many people that you and I have come across in this scene in Los Angeles that feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think a part of me has seen people that I look at as such huge successes, right? right? right. I look at this person and I go, you made it. Like you made it to it, right? You're there, but you're so fucking unsatisfied that you can't even realize it and you're not appreciating it because they're still worried about like, I didn't get talked about in mm-hmm. the same sentence as fucking right. whoever, insert popping rapper or sure. even insert quote unquote artsy rapper. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. Cause I've told you a million times before, like, like you're, you're my guy when it comes to like, uh, just the art rap shit in general, mm-hmm. like th- that alt left field rap, like you're my guy. You know what I'm saying? When people ask like, oh, you know, about that kind of music, I'm like, you got to listen to Mike Eagle. And I told you before, like back when that shit was like really hot for a minute with like That's Racist and yeah. and Danny Brown and people like that. I'm like, I didn't understand why your name wasn't getting brought up. That said, you're there now. Yeah. Like you're there. Mm-hmm. And so to a certain extent, like I, I – I, I, me personally, I'm trying to get to that point where I can feel satisfied with accomplishments, which I've never allowed myself to do. And I don't know if that's going to be good for me in, in like in a monetary sense, but I feel like, I, man, I'm going like, I'm going through a lot with my dad dying mm-hmm. and you just can't take any of it with you. Right. You know? Right. I mean, one, one, the really helpful thing about me doing all this comedy shit is that I'm very aware of the fact that like I'm not supposed to be there and so at every step of the way in that journey I'm like super front of the brain consciously appreciative of it and I feel like that balances out some of my like raging id shit that I experience um in other parts of my creative life and trying to sell music and all mm-hmm. that. Like I can, I can have that golem, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Ugh, precious, like right, that shit right. on one side, but then like on this TV shit, I'm like, wow, 
it is incredible to be here. Right. You know what I mean? Well, so that's kind of – that's I guess what I was trying to get to in a roundabout way is like because you didn't get talked about to the extent that you wanted in the rap convo, the fact that you were able to find the back door into a, a sustainable amount of popularity to create a career out of it, mm-hmm. like that, sh- that to me from the outside looking in – is a, is a bigger accomplishment. It feels great. The only problem is just the numbers, man. That's the, you know, like right. That's, and 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 that's that's the unfortunate thing of it all. Is like, I I would like to be prouder of that. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes down to it, like I get a ticket sales report for this tour I'm going on. I'm right. Like, God damn it. Like, you right. Know what I mean, like I get four it. Four is. I get four it. Is yeah. You yeah. know, for as nice as everything feels, it's like when it comes to feet on the ground people who will press that button when you're asking to press that button it is just not a ton of people like relative to the entertainment it's the niche that i'm talking we're we're niche yeah absolutely we're niche and that's fine but that's my thing is like i congratulate you for finding other routes to sustain you're still able to do the thing that you love even if it even if it is like it's not the thing that you can like, or it's it's something where you're going to cities and you're not seeing as many people as you want is what you're is what you're saying. Like you're still getting to do it. Yeah, I guess get another shot at it. You still you know? you're still getting to do it. You're yeah. getting to do the thing that you love. Like we grew up loving rap and you're doing it. Yeah. Like that is great. It is. But it's not enough. Why doesn't it feel like enough? Uh, sometimes it does. Yeah. Sometimes like sometimes it does, man. Because that's the thing too. Like my. Successes yeah. have been so incremental, right? So like these tiny steps, but you know? they've always been up the steps, right? But but like because I've watched and it's always been up the steps. It, no, for, you aren't backfalling, sure. Yeah. It, but but I'm saying because of that, like yeah. it's really easy for me to like even like I'll go to a show where this you know I'll I'll do a show and I did a show about a year ago, maybe a little more than that in Philly. Mm-hmm. Place holds 155. I feel like 40 something people showed up. Right? Wow. It yeah. didn't look good. Right? You know, it didn't right. look good. And and you know, I've done. And you worse. said in Philly. Yeah. That sounds like a tough market to me <laughs> off top. Uh, it, it can be for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I've done worse in bigger places. But this night, like I just for some reason, and I think it's just because on the East Coast, mm-hmm. I usually do good. Mm-hmm. But Philly, like you said, is always tough. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm, you know, I'm doing my thing and I'm looking and I'm seeing it's not that many people. Like, fuck it, we're just going to, we're doing it, you know. Um, But, like, after that show, dude, like, for that time, like, I broke my merchandising record that night. Because everybody that showed up bought multiple things. Like, it was the first time I ever really saw a merch line for me. Yeah. And I was like, I, it, it, it had only been maybe. Two years before that, where I was on tour, I think with like Dessa, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, oh god, that's a merch line!" I like mean, I the just whole venue probably lines up to I shake just, her hand. Yeah, yeah, and I just I hadn't I was so far away from that, mm-hmm. and then like to have and now like that's kind of like a consistent thing is that I have like a merch line, and sometimes it's really long, and I'm like, "Wow." That's a lot of progress. And I do. I fill myself with pride mm-hmm. at that because, like, that was hard fought mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get there, you mm-hmm. know. So sometimes it does feel like enough, mm-hmm. you know, but I guess not enough to quiet the id. Right. You know what I exactly. mean? But, but enough where, like, you have these moments where, like, 
damn, that's cool. Right. You know? So that's the thing is like the tr- so to go back to your question about the transition into like quote unquote normalcy. Like I'll never be a normal person. I'm right. a fucking weirdo. Like I'm right. a weird. You're creative. I'm a weird creative yeah. motherfucker. And it took me a long time to even qualify myself as that because what you talked about earlier, like the imposter syndrome. I've always felt mm. like that. I've always felt like I'm not really a rapper. I'm just somebody who like. I'm really fucking smart and I was able to like break down rap mathematically to make sense to me and I'm really good at it now. Mm-hmm. But it I'm not a natural. Mm-hmm. I wasn't good when I was 18. I wasn't I was I could do it when I was 15, but I wasn't good at it. Right. Wasn't good at it till I was 33, you know? So like uh that I'll never be normal, but at the same time the something changed with me in the last few years where like I don't the lack of satisfaction has become completely unsatisfying. Mm, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And so, man, I, I've been going camping. That yeah. shit feels great. Mm. I've been – I'm trying to travel more. That shit feels you, great. You're having visceral life experiences. I'm trying to yeah. do that more. I have a girl now that's going mm. good. Like that feels great. Like yeah. before it was like all my inspiration came from like being a fucking scumbag and drinking and having – unsafe sex like Mm -hmm. or like you know problematic sexual experiences like and that just got old like so i don't know i'll be honest though like now that i've stopped giving as many fucks and i've unmuted all my friends on twitter and like am happy about their accomplishments i've been a little more inspired and i'm like starting to write again a little Mm -hmm. bit and like maybe having so maybe it's a cycle maybe but Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I, I know that if I complete another record, I'm going to have no dreams of, like, that going anywhere farther than just being a record. I mean, but also, you know, yeah. I think the music business is, a, is such a state right now yeah. where, like, you – you, it's really a lot easier to see the limitations of what can happen unless you have a lot of help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To an extent, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I'll tell you what. The last, if anything, I should have put out another record within a year after the last one. Right. Because you had a thing that you built. Oh, man, putting out something by ourselves, that was the most money I've ever seen from any of that shit. And it was like this, it was like this very substantive thing where you could reach out and touch it and Mm -hmm. see it in your, and, and, and I was like, ooh, we got to capitalize on this. And we just couldn't. Like, for mm. some reason, Mark and I both went through, like, just a lull, you know? And and that is what it is creatively. Um, but, I th- but that's the whole thing is that it also – that was kind of um, a moment that made me feel more satisfied, too. Right. Of like, ooh, look what we did by ourselves. We should have been doing that by ourselves the whole time. But somewhere in my head also went, like, we peaked. Mm. Like, we just peaked and it's not going to get better than this. So do I want to risk backpedaling? I feel you, G. Because, yeah. like, you know, people – a lot of people – Man, I had people say this when like dark comedy came out. Man, yeah. they were like, "This is the best you'll ever do." Like, I had like re- like reviews would say shit like, "Really?" That. Like, I had this one reviewer, this dude said like, "This is the best thing he's ever done," and it's doubtful he'll like ever do anything. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, wow. "Jesus Christ!" Like, That's mean. I mean, it's it's. Um, I, I don't know. And so, like, I always had that in my head, too. Like, you know, having to, like, compete with myself or whatever weirdness that is. And, like, yeah. I mean, what if I did peak? But then what if I did? Fuck it. Right, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, it's like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't run out of ideas. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I always, I don't know. I don't, but I, I definitely had that thought, too. Like, oh, 
Like yeah. maybe, maybe this was my nut, dude. Like maybe, right. maybe this was it, you know? Do you think that's the one, like, when when everything's said and done, is that the one people are going to remember, you think? Probably. Yeah. Probably, yeah. man. But even that, honestly, the fact that they remember any of them is really tight. I'll tell you, my favorite song of yours is still Pissy Transmissions. Hey, man, that's a good song. I, I love like that. that song. I, man, hey, that, that I song. Love, you were awesome shit on that, that one. song, Special Place in My Heart, man. I could never be a simple brother because the world's not black and white. Some of the shit's magenta color. That is the most clever way of saying there is nuance in the world that gets lost on Twitter frequently. Everybody forgets about nuance. Everyone yeah, wants man. to blame everything on one thing, and it's like, man. And Twitter's funny because, like, sometimes you can add the right amount of words to make something accurate even within the character limit, but you're mm. like – this isn't as effective, right? You know what I mean, right. take out words and fuck it. I'll say I'll say it this way that is that is a little problematic, but yeah. it's gonna get my motherfucking point across, right? You right. Know? Well, and you, it's that's a really hard platform for me because mm-hmm. you see how wordy I am, and just yeah. when I'm trying to get a question off, like you're a threader, dude. Oh you're my thre- god, I have to thread. Like <laughs> I can't fucking, I can't do it in one sentence. Like it's crazy. Um, anyway. Let's talk about the record a little okay. bit because I feel like we've already – I don't know how long we've been at it, but we tend to do this. Yeah. We, we, we run long. Um, so, uh, OK. My brain is not working right now. Is it? Is it the Robert – is Brick Body Kids still exist? Is that what still it's Still Daydream. Still Daydream. Yeah. OK. Sorry. No, it's, and it's, it's about the Robert Taylor time. Homes in Chicago. It, it, it's it's mostly about that. What that's, inspired, yeah, that's what That's the – the framework for it is is that yeah. What is brick body kids? Is that what that was the like the colloquial term for nope. the kids that live there? No, nope. I just that's to me that's like the kids who are like you know if you look at the cover and yeah the ki- like it's you know kids it's like buildings with heads and arms it's like the kids yeah. like become the buildings it's just like a commentary on like the hardening of like living in a place like that and and uh, and the apathy mm-hmm. of those buildings being knocked down being like. To me, related to the apathy that a lot of people experience when, like, black bodies get murdered. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's just this haphazard erasing of memories. Yeah. And and just erasure. Erasure is the big point. And, and how, like, when that erasure happens, people don't – like, when, when the buildings got erased, people don't think about the families and people that live there, what that meant, if that was traumatizing for them or not. Like And, like, when somebody's life gets erased by, like – police brutality there's a lot of people in this country who cannot connect to the pain of like their family or friend their 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 first thought is what did the thug do right you know what i mean like in that like that's kind of what i'm oh if he would have listened right that shit shit. yeah people's lack of empathy never ceases to amaze me in this country because it's like you see these you see this on the news every day, but then it happens to like a white person, and all of a sudden there's the outrage, mm-hmm. and it's just like so fucking hypocritical. But beyond that, uh, was your aunt distraught when the buildings? Like your aunt is the one that lived there, right? Yeah, but I actually haven't talked to her in quite a few years. Really? But I'm pretty sure that they had, they had moved out of there long before they got demolished. Right. Uh, I know her daughter, who was like my first cousin, and her immediate family, who were all living there, they moved out. Mm-hmm. But I haven't talked to my great aunt in forever. Oh, it was and your great aunt? It was my great aunt. So yeah. your grandmother's sister? My grandmother's sister, yeah. What memories do you have growing up around that building? Man, like some of my earliest memories. My great grandmother lived there, so like all of my memories of her yeah. were there. And I remember the roaches, and I remember the, the carpet, and I remember these long plastic, like, walkway kind uh-huh. of strips of plastic that were on everything and like there's plastic on the couches and stuff um my aunt 
uh, I'm pretty sure was doing a lot of heroin. Really? Um, when I think back on how her now, like how she looked and the way she used to kind of talk and like, um, like now I'm thinking, oh, okay. That was she was on some job. nodding off, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like kind of like you know like the, the swaying and the eyes half open and skinny, like you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and she had a brother who uh, was also a heroin addict. My uh, my uncle, um, he ended wow. up dying from AIDS. Wow. Yeah, sharing needles and all of that. Yeah, and then you t- we talked in the last podcast about your mother had some drug problems yep. as well. So all of these things, seeing it as a kid. Do- but pro- probably not comprehending it as a kid. Some of it. I mean, like, I knew my uncle died from AIDS. Yeah. You know, like, I knew that. Uh, I knew I would hear my mom talking about cocaine while I would, and I would go to school and hear, you know, dare, you know, yeah. drugs are bad. Right. Like, and so some of it you could, you could process and some of it you couldn't. Yeah. You know? Damn. Um, how, how has that affected your mentality as an adult? Uh, I mean, I, I, I have, I've had a lot of time to think and process a lot of stuff and I had shit happen to me. that was way worse than that. Like, so like, I, I think, uh, like I, everything that I've gone through in life has pushed me towards being like a humanist Yeah, and just really like trying to, um, just respect people. And not put the blame on somebody as an object, kind of yeah, like man. that's not a fucking dope fiend. That's a that's woman a, that's with a, a problem. That's a or situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and and like, um, you know, the eighties were hard, man. A lot of people made horrible choices in the eighties, right. man. And and you know, um, you were coming from the seventies, who were very freewheeling, and people yeah. were used to being able to try different kinds of drugs in a very casual way. But then when heroin and crack came, you couldn't just fucking dabble in that yeah, shit. It yeah. changed your life. People didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, it had to be a whole generation of people that turned into like crackheads and junkies before people really learned that like mm-hmm. you can't fuck around with this shit. Mm-hmm. But those people happen to be like my generation's parents. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and like those generation gaps are some shit that our families are still dealing with. Mm-hmm. Some of those people just became fucking zombies, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um what part of Chicago were those homes in? South Side. The South Side. Is that that's where you grew up in the South mm-hmm. Side? And I grew up my building. I, I didn't live in that building. The I live with my grandmother and we lived about a mile away from there. Okay. Yeah. Um what what's it like seeing Chicago used as an example? Like it's it's an okay, like the way that when a black man is shot by police and gets used as an example by white people of like, oh, well, that's why you should listen to the police. I feel like that's how Chicago gets treated as a city as far as violence goes. And it's like it, it's the exact opposite of humanistic. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 totally boiled down to this statistic that's that contextually is not even accurate. So like, what's it like to see the place that you grew up used as an example of like – just I mean, degradation. Typically, I just don't listen to people that say shit like that yeah. off top. But mm-hmm. like, but to me, the my thoughts are that it's horrifying that the communities that I grew up in have degraded to that point. You know, like the actual reality of the murders. But I think, honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with the destruction of the public housing system, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the way that people got dispersed with no planning for shit like that. Like you had hardcore self-contained zones of like 
drug dealing and gang banging that you leveled and you just dispersed these mm. people all over the south side, all over the south suburbs with no – like there was no liaison to try to like make sure that you didn't put uh, a GD and a vice lord. Next like, door to each other. Exactly. Mm. And, and you know, and now you, you look at the randomness of the violence. I really think that that's got something to do with it, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you ever go home? Not enough. Yeah. You yeah. got family that lives there still? My immediate family, like my mom and my siblings, they're out in Gary, Indiana. Um, and then my aunt and cousins, all that, they're all in the burbs. Yeah. So, like, not really in the city proper, but, like— How's I'm Gary doing? Always awful. Yeah. Gary's always going to be. It's just a terrible place. Mm-hmm. Just not—you know, like, it's a post-industrial wasteland. Right. You know? How'd they end up in Gary? Uh, just the rent is a lot cheaper and there was a certain thrust based on this church that my family used to belong to that like at this one point they all just started moving out there because the rent – like you could buy houses and stuff for cheap. And, yeah. and I think there, w- there was one kind of focal point for the church that was already there Yeah, and then people just started moving that direction. Right. Um, are you close to your family? Mm, I guess the answer is no. Yeah. Uh, I'm not – I, I – at. I went through some shit when I was in college, right? It's one semester in particular. Um, my financial aid forms got filled out in some kind of fucked up way. And um, so I had money for tuition, but I didn't have money for housing. Uh-huh. So I was homeless for a semester, basically. Um, Were you living in a car? Or? I just crashed. Couches? Crashed, yeah. yeah right. Crashed everywhere. And, like, it was one of the most uh, – it was one of the hardest six, eight months – of my life because like my mom had moved to Gary into a place where I didn't even have a bedroom uh, and my dad was out here in LA and um, and me and my grandfather had had a hard time where we weren't really like speaking and I just really felt like I had nothing had nobody all I had was the kindness of my friends in that college town, uh-huh. um, some of which I had known from high school and others I had just made down there that were just letting me, like, stay at their places. Uh-huh. And, and like, I kind of made this constant decision at that point that I just really wasn't going to – I wasn't going to give any energy to family at that point because when I needed some shit, they weren't there for me. Mm-hmm. I needed some shit, like, my friends were there for me. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm like, I'm choosing my friends as my family. And I kind of still am like that. But that's one of them things, like I was telling you about earlier, it's like a – childish way to handle shit that mm-hmm. I've brought into adulthood because mm-hmm. I actually like I ended up hurting a lot of people's feelings doing that too I've done very similar things yeah yeah. I'm I'm very good at just like turning a switch off and like nope you, yeah. you're not a part of my life anymore right and I and I blame it on toxicity like oh you're a toxic thing in my life and then a couple years down the line I go oh I'm like maybe I'm the toxic one like right. maybe I fucked that up yeah I don't know if that's the same. If you, I don't know. If, well, I mean, my, mine was more like, you know, rather than having any sort of like patience or even establishing a dialogue and expressing myself to these mm-hmm. people, I was just like, fuck them all, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and and really turned a switch in me that was just like no family, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like I think I, I think it, it cost me it cost me some like humanity you know what i mean it, it, it like like even and even though like the connection to the friends was strong it's just like it it put this kind of artificial 
uh, love bond there right. that right. I was transferring from from family right. to friendship. You know? Your dad lives out here though, doesn't mm-hmm. he? So moving to LA wasn't exactly like an escape from family then. Like you just no, it wasn't an escape from family. But like I had never really lived with my dad, so it was like you know we were always close, but like. We had never had that, like, I live with, you know, I live with my dad experience. Yeah. Uh, so it was like, it was a new thing, uh-huh. you know, like yeah. moving out here and living with him for like six months, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. It was interesting because he's a man that enjoys his own space right. as well. Right. You know, he's a, he was a divorcee. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's definitely, he, he did it. He's doing his own thing. So he was happy to have me there. But, you know, it was a one-bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. And it was his space, mm-hmm. you know. How? I'm sorry if I'm like digging deep here, but like, yeah. how's how's how often you get to see your dad out I here? I see him every week. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, I see him every week. Nice. Uh, you guys are you guys are good. Yeah, we're great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, we're great, man. We've always been really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, the record. So, <laughs> <laughs> how many different producers are on it? The, uh, nine, I think. because yeah. uh, Exile did two, and Illingsworth did two, and then. Everybody else did one, so nice. I don't know what that math means. When's it come out? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Ah, so yeah, that, well, that, so that, tomorrow, that. tomorrow is actually – it's already out now. Oh, yeah, if you're hearing out. this, it's out. Go to Spotify. Go to Apple Music. Get them these royalty streams. Um, I mean I have tons of other stuff I could, I could talk to you about. I, I feel like we've been going forever, so you know. You're you're always welcome here, Mike. Well, that's good. And I, I want to come back. Not that I, not that I have any control have over the space. So. <laughs> you're here all the time anyway. But I just mean you're always you're always welcome for kind of neat clicks. Like yeah, I love we, it, should, so. we should we should we uh, should hang out in real life more. We should hang out in real life more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should come over here more and talk yeah. into this microphone. Like we can have like like bite sized. I'll start another podcast with you. I don't give a fuck. Don't threaten podcast. me with a good time. <laughs> Actually, as there's some podcast biz, I want to talk to you about too. I'm down. Uh, I have some really good podcast ideas that I've never that I've never done. I, I'm not someone that can juggle as much as you juggle. I'm not sure I can either. You're a good juggler. Don't give yourself that credit. Well, I'm, I'm saying, in the sense that, like on paper, yeah. But um, like I've run into some problems in the last like few weeks, really, because I forgot how stressful it can be to put an album out. I forgot, like it's like, all consuming for like about a month. Yes, yeah. and like, and I'm trying to do a hundred other things. Like while, and and I feel, I feel, I get to this point where like. I get an email and somebody says something slightly disappointing to me and I'm like ready to punch a wall because it's just the stress of it all. And that's like I can I can plan to do a bunch of things, but I don't think ahead about what it's going to feel like to actually do them. And that's like the part that I've not had a good time. I'll tell you, the last time I put out a record, like the two months leading up to the actual release, I, I Definitely put like some long lasting strains on relationships yeah. where like I had to have some serious conversations with people that were like upset with me because I turned off to the rest of the world. I'm, I was like, I need to tunnel vision on this to do it right. I've and, definitely like been rude to some people, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and I'll be, you know, and in between, but see, and then right after this, I mean, album out, tour starts tomorrow. Yeah. You know what I That's mean? It's a lot. And then as soon as I get done with touring, it's like right into TV production. Yeah, it is a it is a little much, right? You know, and I, I do find myself sometimes like, ooh, I don't know if I should say yes to all of this at right. the same time. Right? Do you have? Are you at a place where? 
do you feel comfortable saying no to opportunities sometimes? Like, does sometimes going like, oh, well, I'm going to say no to this because I need this family time or I need this yeah. this or that or the other. You yeah, know what I mean? for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of times that stuff happens, too, because people – People ask me to do stuff last minute all the time, yeah. and I, I have no trouble turning down last minute stuff. Totally. Like, it has to be the most awesome shit ever right. for me to, like, try to fit it in tomorrow. Right. Like, that's just, I don't know, it doesn't even feel, like, respectful to me. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, word. All right. Well, I mean, fuck, is there anything else you want to touch on? Nope. Tell people where to find you online. Uh, Go to Mike underscore Eagle on Twitter, at Mike underscore Eagle, or go to MikeEagle.net. I got a fancy website. To yeah, follow us Twitter. There's stuff. so much whimsy. Whimsy. It's, it's whimsical. <laughs> Have you been back to the magical rap forest? Yeah, I'm going again, too, man. I'm going in a couple weeks. Fantastic. Yeah. The Miraculous Rap Oh, forest. is that what it was? Miraculous <laughs> Rap Forest. That's right. Um, all right, guys, that was Mike Eagle. We got into it. We always do. It's we play, do. It's, it's very, very... Very fun. Uh, to, <laughs> it's fun and it's also – I feel like you, you always get me to a point where my voice starts to raise where you can really tell that I'm in a conversation because yeah. I, like, I get tension in my voice and I'm like, you make me think about shit. Good. Let's, yeah. you know, it's hard, hard times. Hard yeah, time. Hard time. Yeah. Uh, I, most of the people that sit in that chair that are strangers, I don't mm. want to go there with right. them. <laughs> exactly. You know? uh, so, yeah, my name is Lee. You guys might know me as Intuition. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Intuition. Follow my man behind the boards making the shit sound buttery, Bed Shim. At I am database based with two S's. Follow us as a unit at kinda neat. YouTube.com slash kinda neat, where we just broke a hundred thousand subscribers. So thank you guys for that. It was a long time coming, but you made it happen. Other than that, everything wrapped up in a pretty package at kinda neat.net. Go to patreon.com slash kinda neat and kick in a couple bucks. That's it. Thank you guys. That was Mike. I'm Lee, and this was kinda neat. <laughs>